It's said that your real life begins where your comfort zone ends. Well, it's about to get real as we have radically authentic conversations to help you thrive in your personal and professional life while navigating the twists and turns of being human. Buckle up, because this might get uncomfortable. Starts right now with Jason Robel and Whitney Lordson. Jason and I are each recording this episode while in different parts of the country. (laughs) I'm in Massachusetts visiting my family. I've been here for, I think, five weeks now, which is kind of nuts. And Jason has been in Detroit visiting his mother for about five days. Is that right, Jason? It's uh, no, it's over a week at this point. I'm going to be here almost two weeks total. So yeah, it's interesting. You know, after the first few days, I feel like my body adjusted after about three days to the time change. And I started getting sleepy at my normal time, which is like 10 PM and adjusting my eating habits. Um, But one thing that I've been really proud of myself, I want to give myself a little pat on the back, is that I've been really consistent with my physical therapy and my workouts and my meditation while I've been here. I've also been getting a lot of reading in. So it's been a good opportunity to not only connect with family and and be back here in my hometown of Detroit, Michigan, but to, you know, self-care is such a... I don't know. It seems to be such a cliche overused word now, but in all honesty, I've just really been able to hunker down into my self-care routine and really be consistent with it. And I don't know, I'm just proud of myself, Wit, you know, because sometimes I've come here for visits over the years and I've let that stuff go by the wayside. I'd stop meditating, stop working out, stop taking care of myself and just um, eating all of my mother's incredible food, <laughs> which I've been doing. But it's just been a good opportunity for me to in the midst of a lot of change and uncertainty to take time for myself. And that's been really nourishing. I feel the same way too. And it's also been helpful stepping away from my life in Los Angeles to a slower pace that I have in Massachusetts and visiting family and friends in New York State and New Hampshire and Maine, all of these parts of the country that feel slower than a big city like Los Angeles. I did go into New York City briefly, and that definitely felt (laughs) pretty chaotic. But I think most of the chaos I was feeling and sensing was the unknown and something new and how unsettling it is when you're just not sure, like things like parking are different, (laughs) you know. But even in uh, Massachusetts, I had moments where I'm like, are the parking rules different here? Like, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to park here and blah, blah, you know, like just kind of that feeling of of being thrown off. And that's certainly something I noticed on my road trip as well on the way out here. And now as I'm beginning to prep for my road trip back to Los Angeles, I've been thinking a lot about what that will be like, you know, and I, I think I've been noticing, I'm curious if you experience any any of this, Jason, it's like a combination of relief because both of us are visiting family members, which can be really nice if you're with the right family members and the right circumstances. And then for us, our childhood homes, or for you, at least a substantial part of your life has been spent with your mom in that same place. And there's something very comforting about that. It brings us back to our roots and parts of ourselves that we don't get to tap into as frequently when we're living our current lives in a big city. But I also have noticed how 
I can feel uneasy and anxious. And that's something I've been paying a lot of attention to on this trip. And it hasn't really come up that much at my parents' home, but it certainly came up during the road trip. It came up visiting my sister and some of my friends and just kind of like being in different situations has been simultaneously healing and stress relieving and then moments of anxiety and and just kind of being out of my element if that makes sense and i'm curious if you experienced any of that jason on this trip that you're on right now yeah my version of that is that i start to feel like i'm not doing enough and i realize that there's still this really deeply embedded belief system that if i perceive that i'm being lazy or i'm not doing enough or i'm i don't know taking too much time for self care there's like a weird voice in my head that wants to guilt me for doing those things and it's something that i've worked on but it still needs more work apparently because yeah there's been a few times where i'd be on the couch reading a book i'm wrapping up the book i mentioned a couple episodes ago digital minimalism by cal newport and i i've started this book about depression and and human connection called lost connections by johan hari and you know i'm sitting reading these books and for the first time in a long time doing really focused reading which has felt really good to not be constantly on the phone you know keeping up with people or or doing these things but in the midst of sitting on my mom's couch at her house and and reading these books there's this weird voice that keeps coming of like oh well you know you should be be looking at new houses cuz you you're going to be leaving LA at some point and you should you know start looking at different investments for your IRA and your retirement and and you should be you know hunting down new projects cuz you need to make money to get the new house and put more money in your IRA and all this shit that comes up in our mind my mind rather and it's just been interesting to observe wit of how we we talked so much if you're a first time listener welcome if you are a long time fanatic thank you for listening here on this might get uncomfortable one of the things that Whitney and I really delve into is not only conscious and subconscious belief systems how that affects our work life balance and our mental and emotional health but we talk a lot about the hustle culture we talk a lot about the comparison trap and a lot of these sort of social social quicksand that we can get snared into on social media on the internet as everything's becoming more technologically connected and you know for me wit it's almost like i realize that there's probably two things at work here one is i grew up in a family a very blue collar family here in detroit where you know we have we have a very staunch solid work ethic it's one of the i guess sources of pride of my family is you know our family slogan is like we'll make it work you know it's like you do whatever the hell you got to do to make it work and there are times when i think that that family work ethic is part of that guilt voice in my head of you ought to be doing more you're not doing enough but then the other side of it too is a remnant of this hustle culture of if you're not constantly working to increase the zeros in your bank account or the zeros in your social media platform that you're quote not doing enough and i'm really trying hard to not only identify that voice but tell it to shut the fuck up you know like can people like oh you should love that voice no i want to tell it to shut the fuck up because it's this persistent thing that i know is not me it's i i'm getting better at knowing that certain voices are not my voice if that makes sense it's like an implant that i observed or heard repeatedly from someone else and then i somehow adopted or assimilated that into my belief system so when i'm aggressive and tell it that 
you know, I don't want to be gentle with it. Like if I'm sitting there reading a book, enjoying myself, I'm like, no, 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 you don't need to talk right now. This is not your place to tell me I'm not doing enough. So it's been, it's been hard work, honestly. It, it, that voice has been coming up over and over again. And I've just got to like tell it to, you know, get in the back seat and, and shut up and it's not going to control the radio, you know? For sure. And I think I've been noticing that for myself as well. And it's an ongoing thing, you know, it's an ongoing topic of discussion on this show. And I think it's really interesting when you're visiting family to notice these things because when you're in these environments where you were developing as a human being, it's kind of like you're remembering things that maybe you haven't thought about in a while. Maybe you've suppressed them. Maybe there's like triggers in the environment or with the people that you're around, you know, and there's certainly pluses and minuses to nostalgia. And I think overall, if you can find ways to reflect on these things and grow from them, it can be really, really positive. And it's interesting because I experienced that as well, Jason. And I think I, you know, this isn't necessarily exclusive to being at home for either of us. But I think when we start to slow down as we have been in a slower pace of living and also perceiving this as almost like vacation, (laughs) which is like a word that I feel like we don't use often enough. In fact, most people don't take nearly as much vacation time as they would benefit from, let alone are given as an actual benefit from companies. It's a little bit different for those of us who work for ourselves because we're our own bosses. So (laughs) we don't get these paid vacation days unless we're paying ourselves to do that, which is really challenging. But I think I can relate to a lot of this, Jason, is... And I think a a huge part of this is simply because we do work for ourselves. It feels like there's this constant need to hustle all of the time. And vacation never really feels like vacation because we're always accessible via email. If we don't turn off our phones or our computers, we're accessible via text and phone. And it's really hard to turn these things off because we often wonder, are we going to miss out on something? Are we going to miss out on a new opportunity? Is there going to be something urgent that we need to address? What are the consequences if we don't pay attention? I remember also when I actually took a vacation a few years ago to go to my friend's wedding in Cabo. I was dating someone at the time and he and I were noticing this about ourselves. So we actually locked our phones up in the hotel safe. And that was so challenging. And we didn't actually make it the entire trip without opening up the safe to check on things. Even though I had set myself up for this break, I still had that urge to just check what if, you know, just in case. Even if you turn on an autoresponder, there's still this fear that there's going to be something really urgent. Or again, you're going to miss out on something because it's timely. And I think that fear kind of looms over many of us. And then another thing I've thought about actually today was how it really is our responsibility to set boundaries, but it's really challenging to set boundaries. I have this one friend that has called me a lot. And I haven't said to this friend that I don't want to speak on the phone very much, 
but that's really how I've been feeling. So I haven't been answering most of the times. So I and I've really been like reflecting on this, Jason, of why is it so hard for me to simply just tell this friend that I don't want to talk on the phone? And there's this perception for me that I'm going to offend this friend or you know hurt their feelings or it's going to be misunderstood. And then I started to think, all right, so I have this fear of creating further conflict by stating a boundary for myself. And then there's also me trying to figure out like why exactly don't I want to talk on the phone? And I've been noticing that about myself. And it's interesting because over the years since I started identifying as an introvert and noticing that it's really exhausting for me to socialize. So sometimes I get a lot of anxiety about phone calls. So I'll try to email or text or fill something out online instead, like booking appointments online is generally more comfortable for me than calling somebody up. I've been this way for many years. And I think I felt a lot of shame about that. And then I started to see through social media that a lot of people experience that. But what's interesting, and this is kind of something that we've touched upon in different subject matters, is how there's this fine line between knowing you're not alone and feeling relief like, oh, I'm not the only one. It's okay for me to act this way versus finding out that you're not the only one and then almost like using that as an excuse and enabling yourself. And I think I have been like trying to figure that out. And I'm curious if you can relate to that at all. It's like, oh, okay. So it's socially acceptable to not pick up the phone. So now I have an excuse to text or email instead. Right. And so now we have this huge culture of people that are texting and emailing and avoiding phone calls. And that in itself is becoming a big issue. So it's like, okay, maybe we need to go back to having some phone calls. It's not that I never want to speak on the phone. I guess I just go through phases. But then something else along the same lines is something kind of current during this COVID pandemic is because we've been socially less, most people have been avoiding social gatherings or at least doing some sort of physical distancing. And many people still are quarantining and barely see anybody. We then start to adapt to that way of living where we get used to not socializing. We get used to not seeing people in person. And for someone like me, I get out of that habit and it becomes harder for me to see people in person. It becomes harder for me to pick up the phone because I've been avoiding it, because I've been telling myself it's okay. And it's a lot like changing the way that you eat. You know, you can get on some sort of regiment that makes you feel really good, even though it might be really hard at first, you get used to the challenge and then suddenly it's no longer a challenge anymore. But if you go into or slip into a way of eating that doesn't make you feel as good physically, but maybe it's really comforting emotionally, it becomes really hard to go back to the way of eating that makes you feel really good physically because now you're like you're eating to like emotionally cope. And so I've noticed how so much of this is about creating habits for yourself, but also having the self-awareness to know what makes you feel really good. And I think this kind of ties into what you're saying, Jason. It's like that fine line, because I'm sure you don't want to always sit on the couch and do nothing, but you need to sit in the couch and do nothing sometimes. It's just kind of finding the balance that works for you. But the, the trick is we can easily slip into this place of not even knowing 
how much sitting on the couch is actually good for us and makes us feel really good physically and emotionally versus a certain point where we realize, ooh, like maybe I should pay attention to this anxiety. Maybe my body's trying to tell me something. I think, first of all, I've definitely used my continuing dance with mental and emotional health as an excuse in moments for not getting back to people. And truth be told, I've noticed that there's an interesting corollary between me wanting to distance myself from speaking, communicating with too many people and using the mental health as a leveraging point for not getting back. Like, oh, I'm sorry, you know, I didn't get back to you. I've been taking like a mental health day. That seems to be a thing that I've noticed a lot of people doing or I'm stepping away from social media for my mental health. There's nothing wrong with any of those things, first of all. And there's nothing wrong with struggling with mental health. I've noticed for myself, though, that I think overall this year, I've done pretty well with my, my mental health, all things considered. All things considered, meaning taking inventory of everything that is rapidly shifting socially, financially, politically. I think I've, uh, you know, again, this is like, this is the episode where Jason finally pats himself on the back. I feel like I've been doing pretty well managing my mental and emotional wellness, but I do notice myself, Whitney, using it as sort of a way to keep certain people at arm's length and not necessarily the people I'm closest to, but more of the people on the periphery, whether they be acquaintances or people that are requesting you know, business advice from me or want a free coaching call or whatever it is. I've just kind of kept those people at arm's length because I'm noticing that one thing that I would do for many, many years is ignore the fact that I was struggling and quote, you know, push beyond it or, you know, push through it, push through it and take a call or do something. And, you know, this is another one of those things that I think as individuals, we need to determine what's the right balance and proportion for ourselves. Because on the one hand, you hear from uh, high performers or athletes or uh, method actors or entrepreneurs, you can name people in a variety of industries who are like, okay, once you get to the edge of your comfort zone, push past it. Or, you know, when you feel exhaustion, the great achievements come, you know, after the point of exhaustion. One of the famous quotes that I'll paraphrase from Muhammad Ali was, he doesn't actually start counting his reps when he's working out until it starts hurting. Then he starts counting. So we have that kind of mentality that is purported if we want to be successful and influential and rich and famous and, you know, succeed in our industries, whatever they may be. But I think it really comes down to points, and I've noticed this year, where I would feel that urge to, quote, push past whatever mental health challenge I was feeling when my body was telling me to rest. Again, the old belief system was like, no, you got to push past it, man, because that's what you know creates success or whatever. But I've been listening to my body more lately, probably because of the foot injury I sustained this year and being in physical therapy. I think I, I, I want to break out of ignoring my body, Whitney. And I think in many ways, the clinical depression and some of the physical injuries I've sustained over the last few years have been a result of me ignoring my body and attaching too much to that mentality of keep pushing, keep pushing, push through. That's where the winners are made. Keep going. You know, it's like, boy, some people might disagree with this, but I don't necessarily feel compelled to, quote, cross the finish line if I'm hobbling my way over the line at the end. You know, if I'm broken down and hobbling my way over and being like, I got my medal, like, <laughs> I just want to honor my body more. And I feel like that's my way of trying to achieve balance with it. 
Absolutely. I guess it just becomes really tricky to figure out when you're honoring your body and your mind versus when you're using that as an excuse, as you're saying. And I think for me, it started to feel really confusing. Like authenticity feels confusing to me. I'm like, what is authenticity? What is really authentic to me? Because we're constantly receiving input from so many other people. (laughs) We can easily feel very confused. Who are we really? What do we really believe? What do we really need when we're hearing all of these different messages? I mean, it also reminds me of the voting process. I actually, on the day of this recording, sent my mail-in ballot in. I spent some time a few days ago, really going over all the different measures and reading different guides and watching videos. We actually had an episode about this. If you, the listener, haven't heard it yet, you can check that out. If you haven't voted, all of this episode comes out like the day before the election. So if you haven't voted yet, I hope you have a plan today or tomorrow. But I noticed that I was feeling really stressed about what to vote for and who to vote for. I was pretty clear Well, I shouldn't even say pretty clear. I was very clear on who I wanted to nominate for or who I wanted to vote for for president. But in terms of a lot of the other people that were on the ballot, and there were many for Los Angeles, many measures and different people in the county and the state, and there's just so much. And I felt overwhelmed by it all. And I kept thinking, like, how much of this? is my decision or how much of this is me just going with what the majority of people are going with you know as i was reading through a lot of the guides i felt a lot of pressure to make a decision and part of me was like i just don't want to make a decision at all like this is too too much like i don't even feel educated enough to make this decision but as we talked about in our episode about voting you know there's so much of this that we need to push ourselves to do And sometimes it's really uncomfortable to make a decision, especially if you're someone like myself who is an 11th hour person. You know, if I had it my way, I probably wouldn't have voted until election day. That's typically what I do. The only reason I sent in my ballot about two weeks early is because I'm all the way across the country from um, where I'm registered to vote. And I wanted to make sure that my ballot got there in time. And I wanted to be as intentional as possible. But instead of just like allowing myself to take a ton of time to make a decision on what I was voting for and who I was voting for, I had to push myself to make the best decision that I could in the time frame that I was giving myself, you know? And that's always interesting too, because there's like that resistance that comes up for me and resistance always feels very confusing because I don't know what the difference is between real authentic resistance versus the excuse-based resistance, you know? And uh, we've talked about this before, like the book, The War of Art is one of my favorites because it really goes into understanding resistance within yourself and identifying it and moving through it for the sake of your creativity And almost any creative person out there will say that they face resistance, they face fear. And it can be very tempting to listen to this resistance and just not do anything or or procrastinate it. We've also talked about 
not enoughness. And that can also be very connected to perfectionism and feeling like, well, I'm not going to do it because I'm not ready yet. I'm not going to do this because I'm not good enough yet, or this project I'm working on isn't enough yet. And then you'll see so many pieces of advice saying like, you just need to do it anyways. You need to do it before you feel ready because you're never going to feel ready. <laughs> and Gosh, I mean, I'm constantly trying to figure that out. And it's very, very confusing to me. And I, I think that's come up for me a lot too, Jason. It's like those moments where you wonder, like, should I allow myself to be uncomfortable right now? Is this good for me? Or is it better for me to allow myself to be comfortable? Again, I think this is all just an experiment in finding the balance, right? And I think also for me, getting clear on what is fueling my resistance has been useful. And I'll give you an example. I was scared to death to do a book for so long, for so many years. And to me, one of the things that I'm most proud of in my creative life as an artist was releasing my book, Eternity. And I also contributed to the Find Your True Fork book by our friend Jeff Krasno, who was a guest here on the podcast as well. We will link to those books and uh, Jeff's episode in the show notes here. You can go to wellevator.com. It's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com and click on the podcast section to get all of the things we are recommending and referencing here on the episode and all of our episodes. But I just remember for years, Whitney, feeling scared out of my mind to do this book. And, and I remember getting clear about my resistance. And I identified that for me, when it comes to pieces of art or projects that have a sense of permanence to them, that's what frightened me in the sense that I wasn't afraid to do YouTube videos or social media or a lot of the digital content that we as creators put out there because those things can be deleted, right? You could delete a YouTube video whenever you want. You could delete a post. You can do those things. You know, they're ones and zeros out in the digital noosphere and they can be unless somebody takes a screenshot or downloads the video. <laughs> in maybe most cases, you can delete the record of those pieces of art digitally. But something about a book, something about the idea of making an album or a zine or a manifesto, something that's like on physical printed paper or like a pressed record or a CD or something that's physical and tangible in the world scared the shit out of me. And I realized it was because of the permanent. It was the idea that after I finished it, the finality of it would be that I couldn't change it, that if I regretted or didn't see a recipe uh, all the way through to its ultimate fruition, like I could have changed that, I could have tweaked that ingredient, I could have done that differently, or a song. You know, I've actually never released an album. I have 70 tracks on my SoundCloud account, which we'll also link to in the show notes. But, you know, I can delete those tracks at any time, Whitney. I could be like, oh, I don't want that song out there. But the idea of, say, me going to, I don't know, kind of have this dream of going to Third Man Records, which is Jack White's record label. And he has a record pressing plant in Nashville and here in Detroit, which I actually hope to go see the Detroit plant and the store before I leave. But as an aside, right, I have this idea of like, oh, that'd be dope to, you know, finally finish my actual solo album and then get it pressed on vinyl so people can have it on their record players. But that terrifies the shit out of me. Why? Because once that record is pressed, you know, the songs are mastered and mixed and it's pressed. That's it. It's out in the world forever and you can't change it. And I had to get clear on my resistance was regretting that I wanted to do it differently, that I'd hear the record or I'd read my book and go like, ah, shit, I wish I would have done that differently. But you know what? I've talked to other artists and that's a pretty common thing 
where they'll look at their piece of work, whether it be a film, a book, an album, you know, friends of ours. And they're like, yeah, I mean, I could have added that layer there. I could have taken that away. But I think that's part of the courage that comes with creating is once it's out in the world, it's out in the world and you can't take it back. So it simultaneously scares me and excites me. I think though, it's important, you know, that we address kind of like the biggest, I don't know. I don't know if I want to call it the biggest. Let me, let me pause there. The thing that I think most people in the world face to a degree with resistance, and that's like an element of the fear of failure. You know, that's something that besides the regret or wishing I had quote done it differently with pieces of art that are released in the world, I think the sort of the scary monster under the bed for me with resistance is failure, is the idea that I have an ideal in my mind or a standard of excellence, or maybe there's a specific, like a very specific aim that I want to get to. And and by not reaching it, having to live with the idea of failure, you know, but then again, it's that kind of this thing, Whitney, of we, we get it from all sides. You know, you hear again, high achievers in sports and business and art and whatever. And what did I read the other day about Picasso? It said something crazy like Picasso was estimated to have created uh, 50,000 pieces of art in his lifetime. And I believe he lived into his 90s, but only 100-ish of those 50,000 pieces are the ones that people will recognize. Like the things that you would recognize, oh, I know that Picasso piece, whether it's his famous dove or you know, the cubist sort of things he's known for. So it's interesting to note that because then you think, okay, maybe a way to overcome resistance or stare down this idea of fear of failure is to look at just creating without expectation and that creating in volume might be an antidote to that, right? Because you think about that. If this man, as an example, created 50,000 pieces, but the things he's known for and acknowledged for is like around 100, that's an insane ratio, Whitney. That'd be like, I mean, you kind of think about it too. It's like, let's take an example of like, I don't know, someone like Prince is an example, who's one of my favorite artists ever. And I know we're bringing up famous people, but it just serves as a, a frame of reference for what we're talking about. Like I made a point a couple of years ago that I wanted to listen to like all of Prince's music, like album after album after album all the way through. I did the same thing with Queen. I did the same thing with David Bowie. It's just like, I'm going to listen to every single album all the way through. And the ones we know, the hits, you know, the big, big songs incorporate such a small ratio if you contrast it with the total volume of songs they've released and also the shit that's in the vaults that never got released, right? So in my mind, I'm, I'm kind of talking it through with you that maybe for me, my fear of failure is dealt with by just creating and not stopping to consider what's going to be, quote, celebrated or what's going to be a hit or what's going to be a bestseller or all these, I don't know, all these aims or markers of success that society wants us to focus on, but maybe it's just having the courage to keep creating and not caring what people think, which is hard. It's really hard, but I don't know. I'm kind of working through this in real time with you. (laughs) Well, I absolutely agree with that. And I think about that a lot too. I think actually in hindsight, the biggest regret that I've had consistently over the years is not sticking with things that I enjoyed doing because I didn't feel like they were working at the time. And that's actually something I really am trying to be mindful of with this podcast. You know, it's it's easy and actually incredibly common for podcasters to record 
20 or so episodes and then give up. That's because a lot of podcasts take a while to get traction. And I think that we've been blessed to have a pretty dedicated audience and be growing over time. And I think we've had enough in terms of people showing their support. And shout out to anybody who's left us a review on iTunes. I actually got a really sweet message today from one of our faithful listeners named Amy, who says that she will often listen to our podcast when she's feeling stressed out because it makes her feel better. So Amy, if, if you're listening, which you probably are, we appreciate people like you, you know, and anyone who is consistent with listening and showing their support really makes a huge difference, you know. But there have been times in my career where I haven't felt like I received the amount of support that I needed in order to keep going. And to your point, Jason, I think in a way that's been really detrimental and can be very detrimental. And it's always relative. You know, there's certainly metrics for us as podcasters, for example. We're not quite there yet. And we've had this show for about 10 months, almost 11 months now. And perhaps in our heads, we could say, well, we haven't achieved what we wanted to achieve, or wow, it's taking so long. We should just give up. But I feel very strongly, especially with the podcast, but I think this is true for a lot of the different things that I've worked on over the years, is you really have to keep going longer than you think you're going to. And I think we live in this time right now where if you don't get results quickly, it's almost like you're encouraged to give up or there's like a common feeling of shame, embarrassment, failure. If you don't get results really quickly, we see this on social media a lot. We see this with online business. It's like, well, you followed all these steps and it didn't work out for you. I guess you failed if you didn't get the results that everybody else is getting. When, of course, in reality, it, not everybody else is getting it. It just seems like you're the only one not getting results. But people that aren't getting the results that they want generally feel so much shame around it that they don't talk about it. It's really the people that are feeling successful that are talking about their successes. So it's so in our face. We see what we perceive as, quote, everybody being successful that we begin to feel like we're the only ones that aren't. And it's similar to our bodies, right? We are marketed all of these incredible looking people. They look beautiful, handsome, sexy, thin, in shape, flexible, on and on. And that is put in our face through the media and through social media. But that's really a small percentage of people on this planet that look like that. And many of those people don't actually look like that. It's, it's often quite fake or exaggerated. So if it's like 1% or maybe maximum 5 or 10% of people actually look kind of like those things or actually have the successes, and yet somehow the rest of the people that don't have that, they think that they're failures. And that's part of how capitalism works is it's always pushing us to feel like we're not enough. But it can be so detrimental. And for me, I if I don't get the quote results that I think I'm supposed to get, then I'll give up on things. And gosh, like to your point, Jason, I really 
feel sad for my <laughs> for myself at times. I'm like if I had stuck with that project that I actually really enjoyed doing and just kept going despite any negative feedback I received or any low results that I received, then I probably would have eventually received the results that I wanted simply through the act of consistency and the numbers game. Because to your point, Jason, it may take you a ton of work until one thing finally pays off. And I think that we need to remind ourselves and others others of this more frequently. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. We have to push through these moments of doubt and insecurity and perceived failure. But I'm also not saying that that it's easy. It's not always easy to just do it. It's not always easy to do it anyways. It's not always easy to to go beyond and and push through these moments because I think there's so much public shame these days too. There's so much fear of like, ooh, I better take down this social media post because it didn't get enough likes and everybody's going to see how few likes that I got on this post. And if if they see it, then maybe they'll think less of me or they'll make fun of me behind my back. And maybe they will. <laughs> you know, like I think some people will actually judge you for things like that. And I think some people might make fun of you or think that you're less than them because of those things. But I take it from me that not pushing past that can actually be very detrimental to you in the long run. And there are so many projects that I did like literally 10 years ago. Like I can't even imagine the results that I might have with those things that I really enjoyed doing if I just pushed through all of those fears or all of those uncomfortable moments. Is there one in particular that really kind of floats to the surface surface for you that you're like, man, that one thing, damn, had I just stuck with it, like not, I don't want to say like the one that got away, that's kind of like a ridiculous analogy, but sort of like that. Is there one in particular with that you're like, it stings a little bit more than the others? Well, there's a few. One off the top of my head is a podcast I did five years ago called Real Influencer. And I... I think that we I had a co-host, my friend at the time, and I were doing this together. And I was actually thinking about it today because, you know, back in 2015, I think that was the year we were doing it. A, podcasting was not as big as it is now. And B, influencer, the whole world of being an influencer and the industry that we're in now was very small. In fact, at that time, I was one of the top vegan YouTubers because there just weren't that many vegan YouTubers or vegan YouTube channels. And so it was really easy to stand out back then. I bet you if we had pushed through that, where again, I don't even remember any of our numbers, but I don't think they were that exciting to us. And so we just didn't feel like there was anything at stake in terms of giving up on it. But I bet you that show would have been a huge hit because I look at people who started podcasts around the same time or afterwards and the success they've received. Now, just because you start something at the same time as somebody or before then doesn't guarantee you the same results or success as them. So who knows what have happened with it. But I really feel my gut feeling is that it would have done quite well. But I also have to look back and say, I don't think I gave up on that project because I didn't believe in it. I think it was I didn't feel that motivated 
So perhaps it was the right decision. There are other projects though, like especially on YouTube, where I feel like I should have been more consistent with them. And I I have continuously been very discouraged on YouTube. Even those times where I felt like I was doing really well. And like I said, there weren't that many people doing the content that I was doing at the time many years ago. There was this one YouTube channel I had called What a Vegan Eats. And I was basically vlogging about what I ate every day. And at the time when I started it, which was like 2011 or 12, I think, it was such a rare thing for people to be making content like that, that I felt like kind of embarrassed by it. I was like, who cares about what I'm eating every day? And then lo and behold, a few years later, it became a huge trend. And that style blew up, but I had already given up on it. And so I kind of tried to dip my toes back in again once I realized the missed opportunity. And it I, maybe it would have picked up again, but at that point, it wasn't really having much traction. And so it was like there was this weird gap of time where I felt like I uh, maybe should have been more consistent. And I often wonder, but I would also add to that, Jason, is it wasn't that close to my heart. You know, I think going back to some of the things that, that we've been saying here is that right now I'm not that passionate about vlogging what I eat every day. <laughs> You know, like that's really popular on TikTok right now. And I'm sure if I wanted to, I could dive in. And if I like posted a video every day about what I ate, I could probably gain a lot of traction on TikTok. But it doesn't excite me. And that's why I'm not doing it. And I think that's the other important element of this too, Jason, is it's very tempting to do something because we see it working for other people. And thus, we feel like we have a higher chance of success with something if we do it. I mean, this can be attributed to anything. It's like your career, your body, your business, your you know family life, like whatever you're working on. We can see all these success stories around us and these formulas as we've talked about. But if we don't want to do those things, then they're not going to be sustainable or pleasant. And we might get results, but then those results are very temporary. If we're if we're not enjoying it, of course, we're not going to keep it up. And of course, those results aren't going to stick around. So even though I might have regrets about some of those projects, I also can't regret them because I suppose if I really enjoyed doing them like I do with this podcast, then I would have kept going with it and it would have felt easy. I want to read something and share something I think is super relevant to what we're discussing right now, I recently had a opportunity to connect with some of the editors at uh, Shout Out LA. So as we are getting to close to the end of this episode, I do want to just share something I think Whitney that nicely dovetails on what we're discussing. And uh, we'll link to again this in the show notes at wellevator.com, W E L L E V A T R.com. And the article came out in early October on shoutoutla.com. It's called How to Know Whether to Keep Going or to Give Up. And it's a longer episode or episode rather, article rather. So I want to get to just some of the nitty gritty that really resonated with me. They basically have short interview clips of artists and entrepreneurs and creatives. And two that really stood out to me, I want to read really quickly. One is from London Alexander. He's a queer author. And he said, all signs point to give up. Logic, intelligence, common sense, finances, especially finances, all suggest that giving up makes the most sense. But then someone will come up to me and tell me that they love what I'm doing, 
in that it's inspired them. It's that one voice that probably doesn't even know how powerful it is that makes all the hardships, all the doubt, all the late night crying sessions worth fighting through to continue pursuing my goal of connecting LGBTQ people through my art. And the other one that I think is really resonant with me at this particular time with my sort of reinvention and shedding process is an actress and producer named Tony Christopher. And she said, I think you know deep in your heart when it's time to give up or keep going. And I don't believe it's ever a quote unquote giving up. I believe we all receive whispers and signs that inform us where we're heading on our life's path. And there are people I know that some would see as giving up, but what they found was actually a calling to do something else. It's so incredibly personal. This question perks up from time to time, especially during the pandemic, and it's been a gift. For me, it comforts me, it confronts me rather, where I am and if I'm doing all I need to be doing to express and engage with my art. I ask myself questions like, is there something else I could be doing with my life? And then these questions ignite a fire in me to take more action, different action, because no, I'm not done. I've either become comfortable or I've stopped working. Persistent creating and collaboration is my heartbeat. And if we allow it, we can do it every day. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about that that resonates. It's I feel like there's so much Whitney of just like, yeah, don't give up on your dreams. Don't give up on your dreams. And this is actually one thing I want to talk about in a, an upcoming episode is this idea of dreams and giving up or keep going or how dreams change, how they change over the course of our life. But there's no right or wrong. You know, I think people are so afraid to quote, give up and reinvent themselves, but there's nothing wrong with it. I really want to maybe talk about it in the next episode, Whitney, about this aspect of shame and guilt when someone wants to give up on their dreams, you know, because there is a lot around it. Do you feel that too? Sometimes there's just a little bit of shame and guilt around like, don't give up on your dreams. You need to achieve your dreams. I don't know. It's again, feels like pressure, shame and guilt all kind of wrapped up in that conversation. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And I know that you've been really wanting to talk about it. So I look forward to diving into that in another episode. And before we wrap today, we want to shout out some of our favorite brands and products we've been trying. And we want to shout out ourselves today because we are gearing up for something pretty cool this year. And we'll be talking about it throughout this month. And before we kind of tell you what it is, (laughs) we wanted to make sure that you knew about this free ebook that we have called Take Charge. We created this in 2019. And actually, Jason, it'd be really interesting to revisit it (laughs) for 2020 because maybe we should do like a 2020 COVID version of this because I feel like some of the advice that we gave at the end of 2019 is going to be very different this year. But that book is about getting consistent, staying committed and following through. And that really ties into the subject matter, which is kind of funny because (laughs) it wasn't intentional. But we made this ebook. You can download it at our website, wellevator.com, which is spelled W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. It is in the free resources section. It's actually the very first button on our website. If you click take charge now, all you have to do is enter in your email and you'll get this free ebook that's designed to help you reach your health and wellness goals. We actually enlisted the support of some other wellness thought leaders to share their best advice on longevity, nutrition, exercise, and physical optimization. Completely free. There's no catch. Just send us your email so we can stay in touch with you and you will get it in return. So my shout out for today, beyond the ebook, is (laughs) actually I'm really excited to talk to you about this, Jason, because I have been saving it for this episode. 
I don't think I mentioned it to you. I, I loved this so much. I was shocked. Actually, very surprised. I've seen it in the store a ton. I've always chosen a different option instead of it. And then finally, I was kind of bored and thought, eh, I'll give it a try. And I'm like blown away by this. It is this brand of vegan ice cream called Cado, I think. C-A-D-O. I actually need to double check, but it's avocado ice cream. And it has some other ingredients in it beyond avocado, but that's like one of their big things is adding avocado to a dessert. And if you've never had avocado in a dessert before, it probably sounds gross. But I actually remember being introduced to avocado in a sweet setting. Back when I went vegan in 2003, there was this Asian restaurant in Boston where I went vegan. And they had an avocado smoothie that was unbelievable. It was so creamy and it didn't taste like avocado at all. And my life was changed as a result. Here we are 17 years later. I am still vegan and I bought the Kado Java chip. So it's like a coffee ice cream with flakes of chocolate chips. And it's incredible, Jason. It reminds me of this ice cream I loved as a kid called Java chip as well. It's a Starbucks ice cream that my friend's mom used to buy. And it was just so delicious. I have so many great memories around it. And yeah, I've now found a nice alternative. Sorry for all the background noise. Uh, my mom and dog are deciding to interrupt me in this moment. But yeah, my uh, Java chip, the Kado Java chip is my big recommendation today. It's absolutely delicious. Have you tried any of their products, Jason? No, but I'm excited that you have because I've been aware of them for a while and it's been kind of on my mental list to want to try of new things, being the fact that all of the food trade shows are on hiatus until Natural Products Expo West, which is scheduled for the very end of May 2021. But again, if life is teaching us all anything, it's to have zero expectations about anything. So <laughs> I hope to try it because, you know, God knows when we're actually going to be at food trade shows again. Related to this, Whitney, I kind of want to do something a little different. I'm here in my hometown of Metro Detroit, Michigan. And one of the biggest things that I suppose people have as a popular misconception is that Detroit is some kind of healthy food desert or vegan desert. But I can assure you that over the last 22 years of me living a plant-based lifestyle, Detroit has some really incredible places. So I wanted to give some really quick shout outs in succession to some of the favorite places I've been to on my trip here and some of the old school places that I love. If anybody's interested or comes through Detroit, lives in Detroit, visits Detroit, whenever that might be for you, I feel like I got to get a little hometown love here. So I want to start with the classic, which is In Season Cafe in Royal Oak. It's actually Vani, Hari, our upcoming guest, the food babe. It's her favorite restaurant in Detroit. We go on and on about the menu, which I'm sure will happen in, in that episode at some point. But Old school in-season cafe. They're actually closed right now for renovations, but that's the OG. That was actually in 1996, five, was the first vegetarian restaurant I ever went to. So that's taken us way back to like OG status. Another one is Seva in Detroit. They have another location in Ann Arbor. And then I've also been to some new places this week, Whitney. I got two chili dogs. I went to a place in Hamtramck, my old neighborhood, which was called Nosh Pit, and they had carrot dogs. They had chili Detroit-style chili dogs made with carrot dogs and a whole bunch of other great food. We had chili mustard onions yesterday, which it was sort of like 
a more classic take on a Coney dog. And by the way, for anybody who doesn't know a little bit about Detroit lore, Coney dog is typically a hot dog, regular white bun, spicy chili, mustard, onions, and that is the classic style to do a Detroit Coney dog. So I had two vegan versions of that this week. And then we're going to pick up Detroit Vegan Soul, which is my favorite soul food in the country. And then going to hopefully try a new vegan ice cream shop in downtown Detroit called Cold Truth. They don't market themselves as a vegan ice cream shop, but on the DL, it's 100% dairy-free. So just wanted to give a, a huge shout out. Also, lastly, Green Space To Go, which is our friend Joel Kahn. He has a to-go place. So there's just a ton of really dope vegan and plant-based options in the city of Detroit. Who knew? So it makes coming home a whole lot easier. Although, on the real real, the best food in the city is mom's kitchen. My mom is a dope chef. She was one of my original culinary inspirations along with my grandma Rose. So all those other places I mentioned are cool, but legit, my mom's kitchen is the place to be. So with that, dear listener, we appreciate you being here on This Might Get Uncomfortable, whether it's your first time or you've been a longtime fanatic. Thanks for giving us all of that love. If you want to connect with us, on a deeper level, as Whitney mentioned, you can download some free resources at our website, which once again is wellevator.com, W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. We are on all of the major social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, all the biggies at Wellevator. And then if you want to reach out to us directly, it actually does come to Whitney and myself. And our direct email address is hello at wellevator.com. So with that, Whitney, have an amazing dinner. What As we wrap, where are you going? Are you guys going out? Are you eating dinner in the house? Give us a little skinny on, as we get to the end here. What are you doing? What you doing for dinner? We are going to a restaurant that isn't very vegan friendly, but it is very festive. <laughs> they did, I guess in the month of October, they do like a Oktoberfest type thing. It's like a, a bar or a pub, I should say. It's very Massachusetts. And uh, it's actually in the town where... I lived when I was first born. I was born in Massachusetts, but my parents were living in this small town of Hudson, Massachusetts. And it's not that far from where my parents live now. So it's a nice place to go. You've, I think you've been there, Jason. They have all sorts of amazing restaurants. You have been there because I remember we went to the speakeasy they have there and the ice cream shop. They have a place called New City. I think it's called New City Micro Creamery. And they actually had to move the speakeasy outside during COVID. So it's no longer technically a hidden speakeasy. But anyways, it's a really cool town. They always have vegan options. This place will probably just have a really basic salad, but I'm going for the experience and probably end up eating something at home afterwards to make up for <laughs> the minimal nourishment that I'll be getting at this meal. Well, have a great dinner. We are going to be experimenting tonight with filet of fish made out of banana blossoms. So I will report back with how that recipe experiment went probably in tomorrow's episode. So with that, thanks for being with us. Thanks for getting uncomfortable. And we'll catch you soon with another episode of the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening and getting out of your comfort zone with us today. For show notes and more high-performance resources to help you thrive, go to wellevator.com. That's W-E-L-L-E-V-A-T-R.com. 